0: I want to speak this morning about the Christmas table. And our story, if you have your Bibles, is in 2 Samuel chapter 9. I'm not going to read the story. Many of you be familiar with the story. I'm not going to read the whole story. But I'll just read the last verse in the story and use that as the beginning point and then just kind of recount the story to you from there. But many of you will recall this scripture, 2 Samuel 9, 13. We read that Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Now the table that's mentioned here is not prophetic of Christmas, and yet the real meaning of Christmas is in this table, as we'll see in just a moment. The story is about a man named Mephibosheth. I won't ask you to say that, but you can practice that. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. His name means, among other things, basically a dispeller of shame. Mephibosheth was the grandson of the first king of Israel, King Saul. He was also the son of Jonathan. You may recall Jonathan was Saul's son. He was also the best friend of David for a number of years. And under King Saul's rule, though it began in a positive way, there were a lot of good things that God established. He brought a lot of shame on the name, the family name, and on the kingdom of Israel because of his insecurities, because of his selfishness, and even to the point of... of, uh, you know, Satanism, really, uh, toward the end of his kingdom. And then, at the end of his life, he was in a battle, and he had been mortally wounded, and he decided to fall on his sword and kill himself, take his own life, which, of course, again, brought great shame upon the family. So there was this hope that maybe Mephibosheth, I'm sure, when he was given that name would, as he grew up, might be used by God to somehow restore that name or restore that dignity to the family. Well, in that battle in which Saul died, Jonathan also died. And Jonathan was a godly man. In fact, Jonathan was probably the one bright spot in that whole family. So now Jonathan is dead, Saul is dead, and in that day, even though it wasn't true, meant to be true of God's people, and after all, Saul was only the first king, but the people had gotten used to some of the customs and nations around them, and they knew that when a king died, if that king's son was not following, or there was not someone you know from the family as an heir to the throne, uh, or somebody else was taking the throne, then if that new king was from a different family, that king quite often would exterminate the previous king's family so that there would be no challenge to the throne, whether on that day or years later, as the family members grew and got older and maybe wanted to take the throne back. and so. What they didn't understand is that though that might have been the tradition of kingdoms around Israel, that was the furthest thing from David's heart. That was the opposite of David's heart. David was a man, if there was ever a picture of the heart of God in the Old Testament, it was David. In fact, God even said of David that David is a man after my own heart. That's the kind of man David is. David was not only a man who loved God, David was a man in the Old Testament who was very much like God. In fact, you can't help when you read the story of David or just read how he interacted with people, how he responded to situations. Time and time again, you just feel like, man, I just see Jesus and David. It's just amazing, the heart that David had. And that's who David was. Well, when Saul and Jonathan died and the news reached the palace and they heard that David was going to become king, the family fled because they feared that shortly after, soldiers would be coming and again would be killing them or killing them off. And so Mephibosheth was only a small child, and his nurse, his nanny, picks him up while everybody else is running, and she runs as well. She's running for her life, running for his life, trying to protect him. And the Bible says that she tripped, and she fell, and she she crushed him under her, so much so that his legs were damaged, and he was crippled for the rest of his life. But the real tragedy of that story, the real tragedy of the fear that she had and her response to that fear was that it was totally unfounded. There was no reason whatsoever for her to be afraid. Well, when we come to the story in chapter 9, a number of years have passed since that incident, and one day David, who is now king, he's sitting around with his officials, and he asks this question in verse 1. He says, is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show some kindness for Jonathan's sake? Again, Jonathan was David's best friend. And so, the news comes to David, well, actually, there is. There's a a man named Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son, and he's actually in a faraway region. He's not in Jerusalem. He's in a faraway place. And he's in a place that's actually called Lodabar. And Lodabar, among other things, it simply means a place of no pasture. It speaks of a place of barrenness, a place where really, literally, it almost means no thing. There's just nothing there. Lodabar was kind of like the ghetto of the region in that day. It was a place where people went when they had nothing left, when they were at the end of their rope, when they were at the end of their resources, maybe were not able to work, or they lost whatever they owned. They had nothing left. Many of them would go to the land of Lodabar, and basically they would go there just to die one day. They would go just to find scraps. They would go to make ends meet, whatever they could do to survive. But, but when they got there, they realized the reason I'm here is because I have no hope. I have no resource. There's no possibility whatsoever that my life is going to change. And so I'm just going to come here because nobody else wants us. We're outcasts of society. It's the only place we can go. But again, it's the place that people essentially went to die. And so word comes to Mephibosheth in that land of Lodabar that the king has summoned you to the palace. Now, we don't know all the story, but it just seems that in his response, He's probably not told why. The officers are just fulfilling their their command, and so they take him and they bring him back to the palace. But as he comes, he's no doubt wondering why in the world the king would want me. And he's probably thinking that this is some kind of ruse. Somehow he's found out that I'm in Lodabar. You'd think I'd be safe there. Just no one would bother me. Nobody wants me. That's where we all go. And yet here comes word that take me to the palace. He must be wanting to bring the last member of Saul's family that he knows is alive, and he wants to do away with me. So you can imagine kind of coming in that fear, his surprise, when in verse 7, David says this. He says to Mephibosheth, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father." And you shall eat at my table always. So here is this man who's crippled in both feet, meaning he can't really do anything in the culture of that day. He's living in a place where people essentially go to die. And now he's at the palace, and he's eating at the table every single day. It really is one of the most remarkable, tender, gracious stories that you'll read anywhere in the Word of God. But you know there's an incredible kindness and graciousness and humility that is seen in the Christmas story as well. In the Christmas story, we sometimes forget that Jesus didn't just come into this world, he came from heaven into this world. That God the Father loved me so much that he sent his son who literally left the palaces of heaven and he came into a place called Lodabar. He came into this world. He came into a place where people were living, but just living until they died. There was no hope of any prospects. There was no hope of ever changing their destiny, of restoring their own dignity. People were in this world, were doing the best they could. They were, they were thinking that they were successful, thinking whatever, that somehow trying to fill that vacuum. But at the end of the day, they were still just crippled and impoverished, and God sends Jesus. He sends him into this world to seek us out. He sends us into this world to pick us up and to carry us into the palace, into the Father's house, and to seat us at the table with the Lord. That is the beauty of the Christmas story. It's not only what Jesus did for us, it's what he showed us. That Jesus actually showed us what the Father is like. That in coming, he revealed to us what the Father's heart really is. That unlike many people in our culture to believe, because the devil is a liar and wants to paint the wrong picture, God is not up there in the palaces somewhere indifferent to you. God is not just living in the city, in the palace, in feasting at the table while you rot in Lodabar, out of his sight, out of his concern. As God feasts at the table, his heart was breaking. His heart was breaking because he wanted to find a way to reach those who were in Lodabar and to bring them back. You see, we live in a world today, and again, because the devil is a liar and he just paints this picture in people's minds, we have this image that God somehow is in heaven, enjoying the good life. And he's just waiting for us to step out of line so he can send fire and he can burn us to a crisp. Isn't that the image? He's just up there waiting to hurl lightning bolts at us. Just step out of line. I can't wait to get you. But you know what the truth is? The truth is this world has been scorched already. This has been scorched by the powers of darkness, by demonic powers, by Satan himself. And it gets worse by our own sin and rebellion and our hatred toward one another. We've made a mess of things. It's not our Heavenly Father that scorched this world. We have scorched this world through our sin and allowing Satan to come and have his way. Wherever Satan is invited, he will come, but he comes for one purpose, to destroy. That's why he comes. But our Heavenly Father came as well. And I see him not as the one who scorched this world, but the one who walks through the mess of this world like you walking through a house that's been burned to the ground, and he's looking for those treasures. He's looking for you and me. He's looking for people who've been scorched, people who've been killed, people who've who've lost everything. And he picks us up one at a time, and he wipes us off, and he renews us, and he cleanses us, and he restores us. He's come to rescue us. That's the heart of our Father. You see, Mephibosheth didn't understand that was the heart of God. And many people in our world today don't understand that's what the Christmas story really is all about. But not only does he do that, the amazing gift of Christmas is that he did not have to do that. No more than David had to do anything for Mephibosheth. In fact, everything about Mephibosheth's family and legacy argued against David being kind and merciful. And yet he was. And, friends, as we come to the Lord's table this morning, as we come to the Christmas table, we remember that despite whatever strengths we think we may have, despite however altogether we may think we have it, at the very best without Jesus, we come crippled. We come lame. What I mean by that is that we have no capacity within ourselves to do anything to rescue ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We have no resource in ourselves. We can beautify ourselves in many ways that our culture says, this is important, be that, look like that, pursue that, and it's just putting lipstick on a pig. That's all it is. We don't have anything within us to restore our dignity. We think we're good. We think we're cool. We think we're all that. Why? Because we don't understand how far we have fallen. And we just think we're so beautiful. The only beauty I have, friends, and I don't say this is a cliche, all the beauty I have is just Christ in me, the hope of glory. Jesus restores my dignity. He restores my worth, my value, my purpose. He brings you from the land of Lodabar, and he says, come and hide those feet, hide those legs under my table. Put all your weakness under my table and feast with me you're my son, you are my daughter. That's the beauty of the Christmas story. We just don't realize sometimes how injured we've been by the impact of sin. The worship team's gonna sing a song in just a moment, and part of the song says, we are carried to the table, seated where we don't belong. It's a beautiful song. I know it's gonna to minister to you. And so we see in the story that it was fear that made Mephibosheth's nurse run from the king. And I just wonder how many stories there are in this room even here this morning of people who have run from God. Maybe you were younger. Maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you didn't, but you just kind of knew there was a God, but you just kind of ran from God. And the reason you ran from God fundamentally is because you didn't know his heart. You believed some other image. You believed religion. You believed works. You be- maybe whatever it was, but you just didn't know his heart. And the Father wants you to know his heart this morning. He wants you to know that you don't have to run. You don't have to be afraid of him. In fact, when you realize how gracious he is towards you, you can stop running. Because you see, when we run from the Lord, what do we do? We run, we fall, and we come up with all kinds of problems. We just injure ourselves. But we don't have to run. sooner or later, we come to our senses and realize how great his love is toward us. The Bible says in Lamentations 3, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. I love that scripture. He's saying God's mercies are not just new today and gone tomorrow. He's saying when you walk with the Lord, when you sit at the table of the Lord, when you learn to have a relationship with him and have fellowship with him and allow him to pour these things into your life, you realize that his love and his grace and his mercy, they just have a way of weaving themselves into your life from day to day to day. And what are they doing? They're living, they're alive, they're powerful, and they're actually bringing restoration to you. Day by day, you're getting stronger. You're getting more whole. You're understanding more truth. You're believing less the lies of the enemy. You're starting to understand who you really are as a child of God. You begin to live in that confidence. It's not a cockiness because it's not anything you have done. It's a confidence in what he has done for me, and I choose to believe him. Rather than the accusations, rather than the lies of the enemy, rather than even choosing, this is the hardest thing of all. Yeah, the devil gets a bad name. Well, you can't give him bad enough a name because he's bad. But I got to tell you some, sometimes, friends, I see believers, and I see it in my own life sometimes. I believe the devil probably even just steps back and says, no, no you go ahead. You're doing a good job. No, you're beating up on yourself fine. <laughs> I can go somewhere else. I'll come back later. You see, we beat up on ourselves. Again, he eggs it along, but we believe the lie. And so as we come to the Lord's table this morning, I want to invite you to do two things that we see in the way that David was with Mephibosheth, which really represents how Jesus is with us. I want to invite us this morning to come to his table with gratitude and praise. The Lord's table, I believe, is a tangible expression of the heart of Christmas. The Bible says in Romans 5, God shows his great love for us in this way, that Christ died for us while we were sinners. God reaches out to us. Do you realize that on the cross, think about this, all that Jesus went through on the cross, with pretty much his very last ounce of strength, what does he do? He cries out to the Father. Oh, Father, forgive them. They don't realize what they're doing. They don't realize what they're doing. Father, just love them. Forgive them. Love them. And he wasn't having to convince the Father. That's the Father's heart. He's saying, Father, that's why we're here. So I just, Lord, I just want to let you know, Father, that I, I just released anything against them. I hold nothing against them. I love them. That's his heart toward us this morning. The sheer scale of God's love is beyond our grasp. And so we come to his table with praise. You know, the idea of praise is more than just singing. It's more than just exuberant worship or or music. As wonderful as that is, the idea of praise in the Scripture really is more about a stream, a river. What the Scripture is saying, that when I come with praise, I'm allowing gratitude for all that Jesus is and all that he's done for me. I'm allowing the awareness of that to create a gratitude and a thanksgiving within me that becomes this spring that wells up, and it just refreshes me. It just removes all the heaviness, all the garbage, and just refreshes me and brings a joy that is strength to me. And it's not only a gratitude toward God, it's a gratitude that I express toward others. You see, if you understand how much you've been forgiven, you will be a giving person. That just comes natural. You find a Christian who's just giving and giving. Why? Because they just realize how much they've received. Grateful people are naturally giving people. That's one of the things I love about Christmas and gift giving at Christmas. It just celebrates the the gift of Jesus coming into the world. And what I love about Christmas, too, and I get a kick out of this sometimes because we have a, a city full of people who don't know Jesus yet. We're working on it, they don't all know him yet. But during the Christmas season, you even have people who have no idea of the association between Christmas and Christ, never heard the gospel before and that unbeknownst to them, they are celebrating him. Every, every dear neighbor out there putting up Christmas lights on the house, they don't realize they are declaring that the light has come into the world and the darkness will never be the same. They're declaring that by putting up those lights. When they give gifts, they just feel particularly generous one time a year. They don't realize it's because of Jesus. You see, without Jesus, none of this stuff happens. Now, I know that because of the commercialization of Christmas, It's really tempting for us to to pick on stuff, isn't it? It's kind of tempting to pick on Santa Claus. Poor guy. I mean, how can you pick on Santa Claus? You know, we pick on Christmas trees. We pick on anybody who wishes you happy holidays. But I really believe that Christmas is a wonderful season. Christmas reminds me of how amazingly we have been forgiving of how great God's forgiveness is for us. It really is a wonderful time of the year if we don't do it on a regular basis to kind of re-examine our hearts and to ask myself, Lord, am I living like someone who gives like you give, like you've given to me? Or have I kind of allowed that Scrooge spirit to kind of creep into my life? Is there a, a stinginess about my life? Even that word is ugly, isn't it? Stingy. Doesn't that just sound evil? Stingy. You know, that can characterize our lives. Christmas is a wonderful time for us to say, Lord, I want all stinginess gone. I don't want anything of the Scrooge in my life at all, all year round. I just want to give like you give and like you've given to us. The Bible says, and I'm going to ask you to read this with me, Colossians 4, be wise in the way that you act with other people who are not believers, making the most of every opportunity, Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, as you may know how to answer everyone. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt. The idea of seasoning has to do with with just a little bit. Just a little bit. And, you know, I know that a lot of us, we can be very sincere as believers, But we just kind of feel like, for some reason, this heightened sense during the holiday season that we just need to be this witness for Jesus, and we just got to speak out every opportunity we have. So when somebody at the cash, some poor cash, you know, cashier making minimum wage, when she just happens to slip and say, happy holidays, what do we do? No, we got to bounce back and say, Jesus is the reason for this season. Merry Christmas. They got to stand for the Lord, right? That's not too wise. And it's not too pleasant. Can I recommend to you, if you kind of run into that from time to time, that you just simply, in a very kind way, just say, and happy holidays to you, and a Merry Christmas. Doesn't that sound so much nicer? Right? We don't have to worry about being contentious or getting into some kind of argument. And in fact, some of us are going to be in family situations over Christmas that, that they're not Christian. And again, we feel the pressure that we somehow have to get a word in for Jesus, don't we? We've got to kind of be a witness somehow. That's not a bad thing if the opportunity arises, but you know what, most of our families know where we stand. So wouldn't it be wonderful just to kind of move among our family, just allowing the grace of the Lord to flow through us and just speaking kindly, having fun with our family, maybe even taking the time to not worry about you being heard so much, it's just maybe talking about what you appreciate about them and how much they mean to you. You may find that goes a lot further. Well, we come celebrating. We come rather with worship and with praise. We also come like Mephibosheth to celebrate God's gift to us. And that brings you back to him. And I'm closing with this. That the very idea of celebrating the Lord's table really is based on the fact that communion is actually a feast. Jude, Jude calls it a love feast. And feasts in the Bible, they, they actually point to actual events that are being celebrated. Just like when we think of Thanksgiving, it's not just a turkey. It has a history to it. And so we think back to what it means. The word celebration literally means to reobserve the significance of the event. It's not just to remember it. It's actually to relive it, you might say. So when you think of Mephibosheth coming to the table, every single time he comes to the table, what does he think? He doesn't think, oh, man, I shouldn't be here. He doesn't think, oh, no, David's looking at me like I really shouldn't be here. Every time Mephibosheth comes to the king's table, My, the king is so good. The king is so gracious, so merciful, so kind. And friend, when we come to the Lord's table, I believe we come with that same gratitude. You see, before Jesus went to the cross, he met with his disciples, he broke the bread, and he gave thanks, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat this to remember me. What's he saying? Remember that I am here. Remember as you come to the table, Remember my mercy, my generosity, that my grace, that they're all yours again today. Not just when you get saved, not just yesterday. There's fresh grace for today, fresh mercy for today. What do you need? There's fresh generosity today. It's all here today. Come and celebrate. Come and celebrate this feast. And we don't get to get on that stuff by just the power of a piece of bread. But it happens every time that I open my heart to the Lord in a fresh new way. I don't just go through the motions, but I receive his presence afresh. I receive fresh grace for those things that I don't even know are going to happen this week, but the Lord does. And so he wants it to be fresh grace for today. As you're going to hear in the song, in just a moment, I come carried to the table by the Holy Spirit, and I come and I sit where apart from the grace of God I do not belong. So I'm going to ask you this morning as we close our service and prepare to share in the Lord's table, you just close your eyes. Just close your eyes, bow your head, and allow the words of the song to minister to you. And wherever you may be this morning, understand the Holy Spirit is here to lift you up, to bring you into the palace from wherever you may be, and to set you at his table, that you can feast on the presence and the grace the graciousness of the Lord this morning thanks for listening to the GT Moncton podcast don't forget to subscribe to get the sermon as soon as it's released if you have any questions or want to get connected go to gtmoncton.com for live streams and other videos check out the GT Moncton YouTube channel and follow us on social media at GT Monkton to stay up to date on what's going on. God bless.